It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. There was a boy named Icarus, and all his life he dreamed that he would fly. Icarus. There was a boy named Icarus, whose heart belonged to sun and wind and sky. Icarus. He dreamt of Rosy clouds surround his bowed wings Dreams He wants to go there Dreams He wants to go 
Good morning. Welcome to this Easter edition of the Tom Sumner program. Yeah, I know. Yesterday was Easter, but um, <clears throat> as the Easter holiday was approaching, I thought it might be uh, fun to dig through the archives and find some things that might relate to the uh, uh, to the holiday. And um, I did just that on Friday. We had a Good Friday edition. We also sort of kicked off uh, Passover as well. With some great interviews from uh, from the archives, and we have some really uh, some really interesting ones coming up today. Um, also, wanted to mention that uh, although yesterday was uh, Easter in the United States, today is Easter in Canada, so it still seems appropriate to you know kind of tip my hat to Easter, and uh, we're going to do just that. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, uh, we're going to talk with the author of a number of critically acclaimed books, including the one we'll be talking about today from uh, a few years ago, the phenomenal international bestseller, The Celestine Prophecy, which spent uh, more than three years on the New York Times bestseller list. It's by James Redfield, and he'll join me uh, in the third half of our three-hour tour. And then we're going to talk about uh, Inside the Catholic Church and how a war hero inspired a journey of faith with award-winning sports writer for the New York Times and the author of seven books, Joe Drape, in his book, The Saint Makers. That's coming up in the middle of our three-hour tour. But we're going to kick things off asking simply, what did Jesus ask? And uh, investigative uh, reporter from Time Magazine and other publications asked... Um, Best-selling song uh, songwriters and uh, theologians and elected officials from all over the world, um, and and uh, put together a collection of some of their comments and responses in a book called "What Did Jesus Ask?" So we're going to get into that with Elizabeth Dias from Time Magazine coming up in. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, so I hope you'll stick around and enjoy this post-Easter edition.
And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a uh, correspondent for Time, covering religion and politics. She lectures at universities around the country and has been featured on numerous media outlets, including CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NPR, and Al Jazeera. She has a Master's of Divinity degree from uh, Princeton Theological Seminary and lives in Washington, D.C. Her name is Elizabeth Diaz. And uh, Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I, before we even get into the new book, uh, uh, and, and I'll just mention uh, parenthetically uh, that uh, Elizabeth has a, a book out uh, on Time Books called, uh, where she asks the question, what did Jesus ask? And um, a variety of different uh, responses uh, from world leaders and uh, Christian leaders um, reflecting on questions of faith in the book. But as I was introducing you, I used a phrase that that comes up in ways that that make me wonder if it should, um, religion and politics in the same breath. holidays, right, everyone says. Those are the two things you shouldn't bring up at your family dinner table. But they are uh, they are the two of the things that connect most deeply with how people see the world uh, and what um, brings people joy and pain. Uh, and so I think that the two things, there's no more perfect beat for me in journalism than bringing those things together. I mean, it puts me on the Pope's plane and in the halls of Congress and uh, just hearing what's on people's hearts. And how is asking the question, what did Jesus ask, different than asking people, for example, what would Jesus do? religion for time for five years, and I never had stopped to really think about the fact that Jesus was a question asker. He wasn't just uh, just a truth teller. You know, we often think Jesus gave instructions or he, he was a teacher, but once I paused to think about Jesus as a question asker, it it opened up a new way of imagining what his mission was all about and how he invited people into conversation with him, um, how what he was teaching was really connected to lived lives um, and and just very human activity. Uh, and that opens up a whole realm for, for every generation to think about its own response to what Jesus was all about. Uh, and, and so that's, it's different by saying, you know, where was he going with with everything that he was all about? And what does that mean for his followers today? And and just for listeners, so they have a better understanding of, uh, of this new book, what kinds of uh, people did you seek um, to pose this question to? And, and how varied are the answers? Well, the contributors themselves are very wide-ranging. Uh, it's everyone from the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, to the rapper Lecrae, to the essayist Marilyn Robinson, um, as well as, as new voices uh, like Michelle Gutry and Sarah Miles. Um, so the, my, my goal uh, as a collector and sort of guardian of their voices was to bring together 
like geography, everyone from um, Barbara Brown Taylor on, a, on her farm in northeastern Georgia to a liberation theologian in uh, Tamil in India. And so, uh, and I let them all pick which question they wanted to reflect on. So it brings really personal reflections uh, to their voice and, and to what we get to hear about how they interacted with this question. Uh, and, and so all of them actually continually I heard over and over again, I never really thought about Jesus' questions. And, uh, you know, it really, it really was renewing for me personally in my own spiritual journey. And so that was fun to hear as an editor. Just It, it was to hear them tapping into something uh, really real in their lives. Answering a question that's been waiting to be answered for more than 2,000 years. Say it again? In essence, answering questions that have been waiting to be answered for more than 2,000 years. Right, right. And and the thing is, too, uh, each, I really think through this process, you know, realizing we have, we have scripture that's the same. I mean, Christians follow, um, follow a, a set text, uh, the Bible, and yet the questions that are asked allow each generation to really grapple with the mysteries of faith themselves. And um, that dialogue ends up being really important not just for them, but then for the generation that follows in shaping how communities um, communities live out their faith. And, you know, these questions, everything from, you know, why are you so afraid? Do you believe I am able to do this? Uh, uh, why are you bothering this woman? When you, when you hear those in your own context, you have uh, different feelings that rise up, at least that's what the, the writer's were saying, and this was one of their goals uh, was to explore that, uh, and then in turn help readers to imagine uh, their own responses to these questions. Are there right answers to the questions? Uh, you know, I didn't ask that of the contributors, um, but I I asked them just to imagine. Uh, and use on the question as opposed to answering it. I didn't want the project just to posit, um, you know, this is a right answer. It's not about finding um, the needle in the haystack there. It's about responding um, in a way that's really real. And I think that was one of the most provocative elements of the project, um, seeing what the question evoked. Uh, from these writers. More with Time Magazine correspondent Elizabeth Diaz, author of What Did Jesus Ask? Straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. 
Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with Time Magazine correspondent Elizabeth Diaz, author of What Did Jesus Ask? Straight Ahead. Now, were there, um, now each person had an opportunity to approach a different question, potentially, but were there 
did you notice anything that seemed to be trending among certain demographic segments, racial segments, uh, socioeconomic conditions, etc.? One of one of the big themes, and it, it sort of crossed all of the demographics. I mean, probably maybe at least six pieces. I want to say out of seventy plus, all all brought up uh, racial tension in the United States right now. Uh, and um, you know, one of the questions, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, is is maybe one of Jesus's most famous questions uh, that he asked of God on the cross as he was dying. And uh, the author of that that reflection, Luke Powery, is the is the, the dean of Duke Chapel, and he he tied it in to uh, racial racial tensions and questions of you know what um, what is this crisis and has has have we forsaken each other uh, as brothers and sisters and where is God in the violence we've seen from Baltimore to Ferguson? Back to Trayvon Martin, what is that recurring theme? Um, so that was interesting to see people spontaneously just bring that up, uh, what was on their heart. Did um, anything about religious... Uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of how to, how to put it in context of, of recent events that we've seen with uh, um, hate groups and Islamic terrorism and um, not Islamic, but Islamic extremist terrorist behavior. Um, did is that addressed at all? Is there some sense that there's that that a religious war can be justified anywhere? And this was uh, Michael Smith who took this one on. Um, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Um, these, some of these are 
can be almost conundrum-like. Mm. Right. It's, it adds to the mystery. Exactly. Were you, it points to some of the more the more mystical um, elements and that are just really challenging, again, that each generation needs to face uh, and wrestle with. When going through and, and putting this uh, ma- the material together for this book, Elizabeth, was it... Um, were there things that revealed themselves to you? Were there surprising choices of, of questions and and anything in the reflections that that stand out as something you expected or didn't expect? Well, one thing I didn't expect was how um, provoking the idea of Jesus asking questions would be, uh, especially really? for the writers. You know, you think if you're going to ask, some of the foremost Christian leaders and people who have been on the world stage, uh, either literally like Michael W. Smith on stage or leading uh, big Catholic archdiocese, Pope Francis appointees, you think that these people, well, surely someone knows how to reflect on a question or um, think about it. it would be these, these people, but just to see some of the really raw and vulnerable elements of their own lives that they brought forth and that that they were challenged to um, in, in a very personal way by the question was just a reminder of the power um, of Jesus' voice uh, still. And, and that was really interesting to observe and, and watch these, these voices learn uh, and to, to help and, and when you learn in sort of a very public way, it allows uh, your readers then to join you in that process. And um, I think it was sort of humbling all around. What made you think in terms of, it's, it's one thing to have it occur to you um, to ask the questions that Jesus asked, but what made you think to to do it in this way, to make it a collection of, of, of choices and reflections by a large group of people rather than tackling uh, the questions yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, as a journalist, when I get to meet all sorts of people, I've, I really learned to value their voice, and I'm, I'm really just fascinated by all the encounters I get to have, um, and I... I feel sort of selfish sometimes. I get to do all of that, but it's on behalf of my audience. And, you know, as writers and, and reporters, I mean, that's what we do. We, it's, at its best, journalism is a service. And so it was important to me to be able to share that and uh, really, and also to bring them together. There are very few forums that I've found where, uh, in, in really practical ways and in everyday ways, such a range of of Christian voices, like from everyone from evangelicals to Eastern Orthodox to um, rappers <coughs> to comic strip artists, you know, come together uh, and and just be and reflect on something that they share. Because there are a lot of divisions, uh, even within Christian communities, there's a lot of division, and it became a really great way. 
for people to join together, but yet have their individual voice. This is a little bit like giving all those people a homework assignment. How, how did you go about? Uh, <laughs> what? How, how did you go there about? Were a lot of emails. There were a lot of emails, um, but I also really believed in giving them freedom. Uh, I didn't want to give too many instructions. I wanted yeah. it to be in their own sound, um, in their own words. Uh, so I, I really just said, uh, my main instruction to you is don't try to answer the question, but instead reflect on the question itself. And Jesus asked the question after and then see where that takes you. And I'm proud of them for really taking that to heart uh, and doing that because it's not easy. Was there, in putting the book together, Elizabeth, was there a favorite question of yours? Do you have a favorite question that Jesus asked? You know, people ask me that. I uh, it, it really depends uh, on the week for me, sometimes even the day, but because there's such a range of them, it, it kind of speaks to whatever um, is happening for me in that moment, but um, some of the, the standing ones, I guess, I really appreciated Jesus asking, why are you bothering this woman? I thought that was just a fascinating question um, to ask, and I also have thought about uh, Jesus' question, why question me? Uh, and uh, the cartoonist Jean Luen Yang, who writes Superman comic, uh, yeah. reflected on on that by actually drawing out a, a cartoon and examining Jesus' facial expressions. You know, was he angry? Was he sad? Uh, was he concerned? And, and what does that mean? The way that we imagine Jesus asking a question actually determines a lot in shaping our answer or in our reflection about what he was going after and, and thinking that there could have been a range of emotions behind the question, I thought was a really interesting insight. Now, with uh, this um, collection and, and the question you just mentioned, why are you bothering this woman, um, Does to what degree does context matter with these questions? I think it's, it's similar to, to the way context is important uh, in, in knowing, you know, who Jesus' audience was when he asked it. Um, you know, if you're writing a letter to someone, your audience is different than if you are giving a sermon to a thousand people. Uh, and so, um, but also for Christian communities that that believe scripture is enduring, that means that the, the questions also have relevance um, that is lived anew uh, every time someone opens the text. And so it's that dance between those two that's really important. And uh, I think uh, you can see that in some of the, the theologians, especially reflecting on these questions and pastors. I mean, that's really what the sermon each week in, in churches is all about, is understanding what Jesus was originally talking about and what does that mean for communities today. So it really gets at the core, almost of preaching and of um, meditating and prayer. It, it may be my, my perception, but it, it seems to me that in the United States, a lot of 
traditional religious celebrations have become somewhat superficial. I, I, we give thanks by eating turkey and watching football. We celebrate the birth of Christ by, um, you know, camping out for three days in front of a big box store. Um, in your covering of religion and politics for time, um, what is happening? Is political correctness um, somehow minimizing the the impact of messages from the Bible? Uh, I haven't thought about that question per se, but um, I think if anything, maybe it's more um, the the impact of religious communities of the Bible or of the Quran or of religious leaders is actually really, really strong and has such import uh, for people not just in the United States but around the world. And and whenever I, ideas and beliefs and faith is held very tightly, um, of course it brings brings up conflict um, and, and, and prompts um, you know, the question of, uh, of how to treat one another, and um, it, it's really challenging. And so I don't think it's so much, um, you know, that it's, the messages are prevented. It's almost that often they are really potent and powerful, and that um, that's what's prompting a lot of the conversation. You know, I don't get a chance, and, and forgive me if I if I jump outside the book for a couple of uh, minutes, because I don't often get an opportunity to visit with someone who has religion as a beat, as as a journalist, and I'm I'm curious about some of these things, especially the uh, the impact of religion as it's being used in, in uh, American politics, um, is, is there a place for religion in American politics? Well, certainly, practically speaking, it's everywhere in American politics. Uh, I mean, the whole American system is built on, in many ways on... Um, bringing the two together, even despite separation of church and state. I mean, America is such a religious country, and that comes up um, over and over again, especially whenever there is, uh, especially presidential election year. Uh, and this cycle, we're seeing it, uh, we're, we're I'm noticing uh, the importance of the Catholic vote and shifts within American Catholic communities. But for the first congressional cycle, actually, there are, there's... Uh, one more Catholic Republican, and there are Catholic Democrats in the House of Representatives. That's a huge shift. Um, and then especially as we're seeing uh, Pope Francis's voice raising uh, issues uh, close to Catholic teaching about caring for the environment, caring for the poor, what does that mean in terms of economic systems? It's shaking up the way the American Catholic system has typically been used in politics on issues of life, uh, especially, and so it, it's uh, it's shuffling the deck a bit. Uh, that's really interesting to watch. I would and think. of course, uh, you know, all of the 
for office are making efforts to uh, identify publicly with certain kinds of uh, Christian voices uh, and personal testimonies of faith and people wondering uh, what that means, how genuine they are, um, and, and that kind of thing. So I, I see religion everywhere in American politics. As somebody who's uh, studied um, religion, is it? Do you ever feel like? Are, are you able to maintain your your non biased journalistic creed, or do you find yourself sometimes going, "No, that's just wrong." <laughs> <laughs> talking with uh, Elizabeth Dias, who um, put together a book uh, for Time Books called What Did Jesus Ask? Where Christian Leaders Reflect on His Questions of Faith. Um, Elizabeth, how did you pick the people that that were included in the book, and were there some who surprised you by saying yes, and were there some who declined to participate? wanted to get a range of voices and uh, you know because I of, of my reporting I have access to uh, you know most of the, the, the big world uh, religious leaders and yeah. um, so I wanted certainly to get some of them like ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew uh, who leads the Orthodox communities around the world and bringing in people like the Robert Lecrae Amy Grant um, Marilyn Robinson uh, some of these voices we're all really familiar with, uh, but then I also really wanted to weigh that with bringing up new voices to just also represent next generation um, and to change up the conversation. Sometimes I think, uh, and I see this a lot in journalism, it's easy to return to the same voices all the time, uh, and then the com- conversation yeah. can get dominated, and I, I didn't sure. want that. I wanted uh, to have to have the range uh, and to, to weave that all together. Um, you know, the one person who I really wanted to write for the book who didn't has to be Pope Francis, 
but I understand he's pretty busy. <laughs> that would be a good get, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I have a lot of his top cardinals in here, so uh, so that's their, their wonderful contributions and, and sharing his perspective, even if it's not the man himself. So you think he's, uh, he's reflected in any event? Yes, I do. And I, I, when I traveled with the Pope to Cuba and the U.S., I gave him a copy uh, on the plane, and he had a big smile. So I'll take it. Uh, well, and who wouldn't? Elizabeth, thank you so much for spending time. What a great idea for a book. It's, uh, what did Jesus ask? Christian leaders reflect on his questions of faith, uh, put together by Elizabeth Dias. And um, uh, Elizabeth, how can people follow your other work um, going forward. Obviously, this book is available where all fine books are sold, but, but do you have a, uh, well, a website? Thank or? you. Well, my work is on time.com. You can subscribe to Time Magazine uh, and follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth J. Dias. And that's D-I-A-S, Elizabeth J. Dias. Yes. Elizabeth, thanks so much. It's, uh, it's been a delight thanks for having me. You. You have a great day and happy holidays to you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. It was Elizabeth Dias, the uh, author and, uh, well, she's a regular contributor to Time Magazine uh, covering religion and uh, politics and uh, in addition to lecturing uh, at universities around the country, she is a correspondent for Time. She has written this book, What Did Jesus Ask? We'll have more of the Tom Sumner programs. Joe Bye from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. 
I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flynn Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flipflip Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. One by 
wife see my minister yesterday. You know what my minister told me? He was saying how much pressure women are under from the devil and how the devil just hounds women. You know, that's rough too, being a minister. I mean, he told me, he said, you're coming here complaining about your problems and I gotta wage this constant battle against the devil. I said, yeah, Rev. <laughs> he told me his wife came in the house a few days before and she had this box. And on the side of this box was written the name of a very exclusive dress shop. The lowest dress was $85. That was on sale. <laughs> so she walks in the house and Rev says, another dress? You bought another dress? This is ridiculous. That's the third dress this week. And his wife tells him, the devil made me buy this dress. <laughs> Said, I didn't want to buy no dress. The devil kept following me. I was going down the street going, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the devil kept following me and he kept telling me how good I look. Rev said, I'm not going for that. He said, every time you do something wrong, you blame it on the devil. He said, you blamed it on the devil when you ran the car to the side of the church. <laughs> it was the devil. You wasn't there. How do you know? He grabbed the steering wheel out of my hand. Rev said, well, why didn't you step on the brake? He said, because when he grabbed the steering wheel, I tried to kick him. You <laughs> can't kick him and step on the brake at the same time. Said, and we had a big fight. And that's why I was in the back seat when y'all got the call. <laughs> Rev said, well, how'd the devil get you to buy the dress? She said, I was going out of there. And the devil sneaked up behind me. I heard him tip until, you know, I didn't want to look around because I knew it was the devil, you know. <laughs> the devil came up behind me and said, he said, uh, say, mama, look at the dress in the window there. <laughs> He said, that's your size, too. He said, it's on sale, too. Got a lot of them flowers in it like you like, you know? So why don't you treat yourself to that dress? And I told him, you better cut that out, devil. <laughs> I already bought two dresses this week. I'm not gonna buy no dress. I'm not even gonna look at it. The devil said, well, why don't you try it on? He said, you're not gonna charge, charge you nothing to try it on. I mean, that's free. You owe yourself a try on. <laughs> You better leave me alone. And he shoved me in the door. The devil just shoved me in that door. He pushed me in the door. I said, devil, stop it, please. buy that dress? I said, I'm not buying no dress, devil. And he pulled a gun. <laughs> devil pulled a gun and he threatened me and made me sign your name to a check. Rip said, well, look, said, how come every time the devil makes you do something, it's something for your benefit? When's the devil gonna do me a favor? And his wife tells him, he did already. I asked the devil about that. He said, if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't even have a job. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs> 